this was and is basically the scientific understanding of the last decades that this was stupid. Mm. And so the logic of science will sort of reassert itself. Mm. It'll be slow, mm. but there were cost-benefit analysis made, e- including at the British government. You know, there were hence uh, these accountants who said, well, there may be 200,000 deaths coming just from the health disruptions alone, right. right? And that was in April of 2020. And there were lots of groups, but they weren't well heard, but they were the insider groups. Mm. The well-being economists, of which I'm one in the UK, they're basically unanimous. And having said throughout this, this is stupid. Look at these losses. Look at, at the huge mental health damage you're doing, mm. which is also bad for physical health. You know, look at the long-run problems we're getting with the huge government debt. You know, mm. that's going to be paid back. So that'll be austerity. That'll be a huge loss again, right? Uh, and that is standard economic thinking as well. So to a certain extent, the, it, normal science leads you irrevocably to saying that this was as stupid as you could be. And so you can you can fought normal science for a while. You can have these huge governmental rewards for for basically you know, pretending that two and two is 550 rather than it's four. But the fact that two and two is four will reassert itself gradually. Hi everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. Before we get started, I just have a few short messages. First off, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe this podcast. It's the best way to help us grow and help me get on bigger and better guests. Also, don't forget you can pre-order my book, To the Moon, The GameStop Saga, right now by following the links in the description below. We've also got a few quick sponsors for the show today. This podcast is sponsored by Politics and War the online political strategy game that was created by a 16-year-old high school student. In Politics and War, you create your own country and compete with thousands of other players, diplomatically, militarily, and economically. You could trade with other nations to ensure peace, pursue a Chinese style of international relations, or you could try out some good old-fashioned American imperialism and deliver megatons of freedom on top of your enemies. Politics and War is a text-based game that lets you fully customize your nation and create the ultimate role-play experience. Politics and War is a free-to-play game in your browser at politicsandwar.com or you can download the Politics and War app on the App Store or the Google Play Store. That's Politics and War, the online political strategy game. Check it out now. Links for everything will be in the description below. So, check them out and then please enjoy the podcast. So, uh, yeah, hello and uh, welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I'm here with uh, Paul Fritchers, uh, professor at what university? I've completely blanked. Uh, I'm a professor of well-being economics at two universities. One is the London School of Economics and the other one is in Saudi Arabia. Ah, okay. How did you get the gig in Saudi Arabia? Uh, Well, I thought it'd be interesting to do something else after the COVID stuff and after my well-being stuff. So I was interested in seeing what that country would look like. And I've done that kind of exotic thing in the past. You know, I've traveled to Afghanistan and through Turkey, Central Asia, Eastern Europe to sort of learn about the culture. Lived in South Africa for a while. So this is the the next adventure. Yeah, well, I mean, welcome to the UK. I don't know, how long have you been here? Five years. Five years? Well, it's not really welcome then, is it? you I've achieved what I wanted to achieve here, and that's uh, good enough for me. <laughs> well, that's a good uh, good place to start. So, uh, we're here to talk about your book, which, uh, The Great COVID Panic, mm-hmm. 
which yeah i was i was skimming through some of the the stuff last night uh just trying to cram as much of it into my brain as possible before the before the interview i'm definitely probably gonna go and pick up a copy because i really enjoyed the way that you used like little stories about mm-hmm. of characters that you'd created like based on uh, were they based on like people you spoke to as research for the book um yeah we have three characters in there um which is sort of you know trying to capture the public's reaction to it and there are three characters one is james who is as it were you know the the evil doer in the end but in the beginning is more like the politician the businessman who is suddenly uh, pushed by the population into lockdowns and then sees an opportunity for greater power and money and then gradually becomes uh, worse and worse as it were over time and then there's jane and jane is as it were a little bit the gullible the sheep if you like uh, but also the people who are genuinely worried and easily fearful and, and they sort of want to be protected but they can also be fooled in that way and then there's the Jacintas, who are the, the heroes of the story in some sense, but also the duds in that they can see the disaster that's happening and they're shouting that, no, we shouldn't do this, but they're a little bit ignored and derided and so they don't actually get anywhere by the end of the book. Um, but yeah, some of them are real people. So the Jacintas are nearly all real people, uh, people we knew. And so we, you know, they, they donated uh, part of their stories and the book says who they are. Uh, the Janes are partly... F- fictitious but partly also real people so we've taken people from real newspapers or whom we knew personally uh, and that's uh, several of them now the james are all real people but we of course had to make their stories for them they were not going to as it were you know do some pillow talk for us (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but when did you get the idea to do to to like use that to tell the story because i find it like quite a grinding way of look of of being able to like walk through the last 18 months because a lot of the books or or anything i've read or heard about this it's all like quite impersonal in a way Mm -hmm. you're talking about like large population groups like nations or countries or just the whole world and like you've like honed in on like trying to make it like a Mm -hmm. a personal connection like what made you or when did you decide to do that what what prompted that Um, we, we decided to do that reasonably early on in the writing so it took us about 10 months to write and this was something that we hit upon after about two months and one was that the situation is so complex that if you just keep it abstract if you indeed just talk about crowds and nations and companies and money people are not going to get it right and we didn't want to write it to fellow geeks we wanted this to be to be understandable by people who've, who've lived this, you mm. know, we, we felt it would be insulting if we just did it all abstract because then it, 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 it sort of doesn't live in people's heads and they, they don't understand what the real problems are. Um, and we were also fortunate enough that one of our co-authors, Michael Baker, is a really good writer. So he said, yeah, I, I can do this. No, I'm more of a geeky academic. I can't. So <laughs> we were also lucky in the writing team that we, we had somebody available who could sort of make that work. And, and that was definitely his contribution. Mm. So uh, the yeah, the, it's called the Great COVID Panic. So uh, one of the things that I've been like trying to work out over the past yeah eighteen months or so is like how much of fear has yeah, dominated. Fear and panic has like dominated our response to all of this. Um, I spoke to Laura Dodsworth, who wrote uh, a, a State of Fear, uh, which is a fantastic book, and she she was yeah making the the argument that like fear has become like the weapon of the media and the government in in this. Um, for to ensure compliance or to like make people go along with it or um first for whatever reason there's just been yeah fear stirred up like how much do you think is is like actually being actively pursued by governments and the media 
um, for either sinister reasons or uh, for, in the media's sense, for the media's case, sorry, like clickbait journalism, like they, mm-hmm. you know, for yourselves, like I think it's, if it bleeds, it leads. Like the, the media mm-hmm. is, like a crisis is great for the press. Mm-hmm. And they, especially in America, <laughs> need a crisis because, you know, they, they their, their ratings are falling apart after Trump left because um, no one cares. <laughs> Nothing's that salacious anymore. So like how much of this is, from your sense, like deliberate stirred up fear and panic and how much is just like humans getting scared and terrified and, and like all wound up because people do that as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think the mix has changed over time. I think at the start, it was nearly all human nature, the connections of social media, uh, and it went against what authorities wanted. So the Chinese authorities didn't want a great panic and they tried to squash it when it first arose, you know, at the end of 2019, start of 2020. Mm. But when they decided that they couldn't stop the fear wave, as it were, uh, they started to ride it. They started to push it in other countries, uh, partly to make their own policies look good. Uh, but the fear wave was huge. And lots of people were in favor of the fear wave whom you wouldn't expect. You know, in February, January, March, lots of scientists were writing petitions to their governments. And these were scientists who had no idea what they're asking for. You know, mathematicians, physicians, uh, people who were behavioral scientists, people who knew nothing about uh, epidemiology or the well-being loss of doing all kinds of lockdowns. There was sort of like like mindless sheep calling for this. And indeed, the clickbait, you know, there was, there was basically, if it bleeds, it leads. And mm. uh, fear sold, as it were, newspapers. And, and it's sort of easy to tell the fear stories. And you can look all, you know, manly, you know, we must do something, mm. you know, the government now is, rest- you, can, you can look, you know, all responsible whilst actually knowing nothing. So I think at the start, it was more human nature, as it were. It was a, uh, a coming together of, uh, of, of unfortunate circumstances, a perfect storm of fear, you know, mm. the social connectedness of the world so that it, it came round and then something scary which you can't see. And of course, it is a nasty disease. And so the stories of people in hospitals, the nurses, the doctors about how terribly these patients were suffering was real as well. So, you know, that made a perfect storm. But after that, I think it became, like Laura Dodds, whose book I very much like, uh, it became managed and it became deliberately fanned in order to protect the politicians, to keep sales going of, you know, masks, tests, uh, all kinds of compliance rules. And it became an instrument of power. And that's what we're now in. So at the start, all human nature. Now it's almost entirely manipulation, I would say. Mm. So, like, uh, obviously, like, the there's been quite a lot of, of, of accusations that this is now being exploited for, mm-hmm. for, to the benefit of, of the yeah, governments and the media. Um, at what point do you think uh, they started to realize like this could be exploited, mm-hmm. basically? At, at what point do you think it, it turned from a response that they felt they had to do for whatever reason, um, either political pressure to look mm-hmm. like they're doing something or because they felt they wanted to do something? Because I think that there's like a difference there. Like uh, mm-hmm. New Zealand were quite proactive, for example, in saying, yes, we're going to lock down. And like that was, um, oh, what's her name? Jacinda uh, Lucerne. Ahern. Ahern, yeah. Listen to uh, Ahern. Uh, that's quite a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, she was like very like, yes, we're going to do this to protect everyone. I feel like mm-hmm. the UK's response was almost driven out of when the public and or the media went, hang on, you're not going to do anything about this mm-hmm. or like you're not going to do like what they're doing. And there was like, I don't know, like a pylon of you have to do this um, for, yeah, to look like, yeah, to, to, to look strong or to look mm-hmm. like they're doing something. So like when did the, when do you think they, 
they realized that this could be exploited to put like in place i don't know to hand out money to their, mm-hmm. their friends and donors to um maybe put through draconian restrictions on like the right to protest or um and i've watched big tech use this uh, i think as a, a way to remove people that they didn't have a reason to before mm-hmm. So like, when when do you think it changed? Uh, I think in nearly all countries it changed within a couple of weeks of the lockdowns, right? Really? So that soon? Pretty, pretty quickly. And the UK case is really interesting uh, because indeed I, I think they gave in to public pressure um, and also against scientific advice, I may say, right? Because of course the scientific advice that came from about 50 years of science was that you should never do lockdowns because at best they postponed something which is going to happen anyway at enormous costs, right? At an at enormous cost to health, right? Because you're closing down the hospitals, so you're not monitoring new cancer patients. You're also not helping people with IVF. You're not helping them with their diabetes. And you're telling people to stay at home so they don't exercise and they get more and more lonely and hence their immune system reduces. So it's basically as stupid as you can be from a public health perspective. And that was realized for decades. So the UK government gave in to that basically and then told the scientists around them, well, make up reasons why this is sensible. But very quickly, you can see, for instance, this, and Laura Dodds uh, describes this very well, in, in some of the laws they pushed through Parliament, they gave themselves enormous discretion over huge amounts of money, right? Mm. So effectively, the budget rules of Parliament were broken, you know, and these are budget rules that go back for centuries, were broken within weeks. Mm. Uh, because suddenly the government said, ah, oh, but we need to do all these measures and it's an emergency, so we need hundreds of billions of pounds at our discretion. And new, normally, there was very little at their discretion, but now suddenly uh, there was no Parliament oversight over budget. So these things came very, very quickly. And of course, they have forward-looking civil servants and groups around them. So immediately, as soon as they started locking down, they started asking, okay, what might come? What do we need to prepare for? And they oh, well, we might need to prepare for track and trace. We might need to prepare for uh, passports that are coming, compulsory vaccines. They were sort of laying out the scenarios. And then, of course, little bells start to wrinkle. Ooh, I could get my friends to sort of sell the mask. Hmm. Ooh, well, test business. Oh, that could be billions. Mm. Uh, some of my, yeah, people are knocking on my door already. So, as it were, the, the conga line of corrupt ran to the door within the first few weeks of lockdowns. Uh, and that's basically when I think that they became incredibly corrupt and have been feasting ever since. Hmm. Yeah, it's a little concerning. I mean, so the... One of the things that um, a good friend of mine always says when we're talking about this is like, look, would you want to be in that position as a government, especially early on when there's this new virus coming out of China? Um, there's like videos doing the rounds on the internet of people just collapsing in the street, um, which I would fucking love to know who put those out because mm-hmm. we saw that nowhere else. Mm-hmm. So that, that I want to know who that mm-hmm. was. But anyway, um, but the the like... It's uh, it, the, there's been no movement, basically, in my understanding, from that initial response. Mm-hmm. It's like we we said, here's what we know about COVID. We planned out like the response to it against, mm-hmm. as, as you mentioned, like previous public health um, like knowledge, basically. Like we, I know we did. My mum always says about the masks. She's like, we we don't even wear them in theater because they mm-hmm. last for 15 minutes their mm-hmm. effectiveness and i'm just i'm like hang on so you're telling like, she told me that and i was like hang on mm-hmm. they, they they tell you that they only last 15 minutes and I'm mm-hmm. like, what are we doing here <laughs> but like uh, as our i can almost understand the early response it's mm-hmm. like 
there's something big and new and unknown, like freak out, panic, fair enough, right? I'm not proud that that's how our leaders mm -hmm. responded or the public, but like that's completely understandable in mm -hmm. my mind. What confuses me is 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 like so our our understanding of how COVID spreads, um, who are the most vulnerable people, things like that, all evolved quite quite rapidly. Like we went mm -hmm. from thinking that um, there was people saying that masks work, and then they said, well, you know, the virus is tiny, mm -hmm. um, they're not really working, and the most important thing is ventilation in a room because mm -hmm. the masks aren't preventing the spread because it's I think it's I think we now have. Uh, it's 85% aerosolized mm -hmm. uh, in the, the transmission. So like our, our understanding has developed, but our response to it hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. like, why do you think that is? Uh, these are deep questions, right? I, I, first of all, I completely agree with you, right? That as it were, the, the government and the scientific advisors around the government lost their intelligence. They lost their ability to openly discuss what new medicines there might be, alternative treatments, what the optimal way would be to sort of prevent uh, spread at a certain rate or how to, as it were, uh, try to help particular groups avoid things. And, and for instance, uh, whether it would be a smart thing to have people who've recovered from the virus around the most vulnerable because they're probably the least susceptible to another infection and hence exactly the people you want to put around the most mm. vulnerable, which was an early idea, which was not openly discussed, mm. right? And so definitely the government and their science advisors sort of became very stupid, right? Um, and that was partly because of this, this huge pressure to seem to be doing something mm. also led to a huge pressure to seem to know what they're doing. Mm. And so they couldn't exude, as it were, doubt. They couldn't have open conversations, you know, in which they would say, well, you know, yeah, we're, we've got this flatten the curve stuff. But in fact, this was against 50 years of advice. It probably won't work. Yes, there's huge costs, but we don't know about the huge cost either. And in fact, we might have to change radically within a week. That was, would just be, be seen as unmanly and sort of, you know, unacceptable. The public wanted them to exude certainty. And so they were sort of forced to lie at the start. And then it became a matter of reasons of state to mm. keep the lie going and to keep the pretense of certainty going, right? Uh, and so it's a little bit like the original sin. One you're, once you're down the path of, path of having urge, you need to cover up because otherwise you're, you're done for, right? And, and you're digging a bigger and bigger hole for yourself when it comes to the truth. Mm. But because, of course, you get all these lucrative opportunities, you can boss everybody around, you can self-enrich. There's this mm. huge coalition emerged between the government, the, the, the medical people around them, but also enormous industry, right? Mm. Big tech made a lot of money out of this. And sort of the big internet, companies and internet mediated companies made money out of this and pushed out all the small ones then you suddenly have no reason to sort of stop lying as it were right and stop pretending that you know what you're doing i mean it's if it's making you money and power what's not to like right. Right? that that is then the reality of politics um now do i understand how the politicians reacted of course mm. of course you know it's very human but Lots of things are very human, which are still very criminal, right? And so, and so <laughs> simply because, you know, I understand a criminal doesn't mean that we should forgive them as a society. This is why we have laws. You know, this is why we, 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 we have this notion of legal accountability for your actions, even if there's huge public pressure. So if a politician shoots someone else for reasons that are perfectly, somebody else, perfectly understandable, they still shot someone, you know, and you should still put them up for trial. So saying that they're human is not, that's not here nor there. You know, they have a responsibility, a moral responsibility. And there's not for nothing that we've had trials in the past about politicians who've done things that were understandable 
unacceptable, but that, that cost enormous amount of lives and hardships. So I don't care whether I can understand them or not. You know, the point is we need to t- hold them to account. Mm. And Laura Dodds, in that sense, if I may say, a piece of critique, um, does not want to make that leap, right? Mm. She documents how, in a way, a huge criminality occurred. But the bank stops uh, with the top, and she's not prepared to call them out and then to say, well, you know, what should happen in the case that the government has done a criminal conspiracy, in a sense, right? Mm. And that... I find that also a lack of courage uh, to a certain extent, that if you indeed believe that what has happened is politicians losing their heads, but doing incredibly damaging things against the science of that moment, and also against you know the Nuremberg trial laws, ethical principles of the last decades, mm-hmm. you must then take the next step. You know, What do you expect society should do with people who've done this kind of damage knowingly? Mm. You know, that There must be, uh, as it were, justice. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of calls for like justice as such, but like, what, what, it, what what's that look like in terms of holding them accountable? Like, I mm-hmm. had um, so yeah, we got in touch because it's Sanjeev Sadlock, and he he made his um, case to the International mm-hmm. Criminal Court to no avail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that what you've kind of brought up there about how governments are dealing in absolutes in order to seem you know correct, basically, mm-hmm. is that it's a uh, it's like the sunk cost fallacy. Mm-hmm. They've come too far saying all these things work and therefore they can't go back on it. Mm-hmm. Like, do you see the population at large saying we need to hold you accountable? Mm-hmm. Because that would like force people to say, oh, you know, maybe they didn't do the right thing and lockdowns mm-hmm. are not a good idea. And like people spent have spent like months and months like screaming that about at people who didn't believe mm-hmm. that was a good idea. Like even if they adhered to the mm-hmm. rules and just said, "Hey, you know, I don't, I'm not a fan of this. I don't like like the the restriction on our rights to go where we want and to see who we want." Like, yeah, right to assembly, freedom of movement, all those like really basic human rights. It's like, if you were against that, mm-hmm. you were screamed at by a lot of people. If you, especially if you did it in a, should we say, indelicate way, mm-hmm. <laughs> as some people <laughs> tend to do, you know. I, uh, which is fine. Like I understand. Like you, it's a you can get very riled up about it. I would understand why. Mm-hmm. But do you think that that's realistic? And what what form would that even take? That sort of um, holding holding uh, politicians accountable mm-hmm. for the decisions they've made, aside from voting them out. <laughs> uh, um, well, we talk about this issue at length in the book, right? Uh, and we sketch several scenarios. Um, but uh, to sort of, and, and I'm a great admirer of Sanjeev Sablok, who sort of resigned his position high up in the treasury of Victoria in Australia because he saw the tremendous damage being done by policies. And he felt that that was immoral and he needed to speak out. And in order to be able to speak out, he couldn't be within the civil service. Uh, and he's one of the voices in the book. So he's also one of the Jacintas who gives his story as to what he experienced. Um, but let's put it like this. Um, in history, it, politicians have usually gotten away with their crimes, right? That is the unfortunate reality is that the top, all kinds of criminal activities uh, are gotten away with. And uh, to, to give a UK example, Tony Blair has now clearly uh, been sort of, you know, found guilty, if you like, of starting a war for which there were no good reasons. Hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives. 
hundreds of thousands of people. Mm. And where is he? I think in a sort of a multi-million dollar mansion mm. uh, going all over the world. Here, yeah. Now, what would justice be if somebody who caused the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people? Uh, well, if you kill one person in Britain knowingly, what, was that 20 years in jail or something? Right. So we know what justice should look like, but we're just not used to doing this with our top politicians. Mm. Uh, and that's because of the nature of our political system is that we sort of allow our politicians to make huge mistakes, um, even if they're not really honest mistakes either, right? We, we don't really want them to be accountable. Uh, and so the historical circumstances in which politicians are truly held to account is when there's a large part of the population has gotten very angry at them, right? So this is, you know, happened, for instance, with Robespierre in the French Revolution. He couldn't deliver, and the population was so riled up that they decided that his head should be off as well. Um, or when sort of an enemy uh, takes them over, right? So it's when there's an internal revolution, right? So, you know, revolutions in which uh, kings lose their heads for their misdeeds in the past, or an outsider takes them over. So, you know, when the Allied uh, deposed Hitler and his mob, and put them all up for trial, and then say, well, you did wrong. Well, the Germans were not going to do that. Uh, somebody had to do it for them, right? right? And similarly, of course, with Japan. So those are the historical circumstances, if, as it were, the politicians lose a political fight, if you like, right? Otherwise, the reality is more that if a population slowly changes its mind, which is more normal, such as with the American prohibition, you know, sort of, went, well, that was stupid, you know, this has cost us a lot. Yeah. Or in China, the uh, Cultural Revolution was generally recognized by their elites as a huge mistake. Mm. What happens then is there's a bit of a cover-up. So, you know, the politicians who are to blame are sort of not really put on for trial. You know, in, in China, they put four of them on trial, and that was it. Kind of like, you know, a, a little bit of a symbolism. Yeah. Was but that more of a par grab, though, by... Um the Gang of Four. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that, that's, but of course, there were hundreds of people involved in that, yeah. right? Thousands. And so you could put a lot more, but that didn't really happen. But then there is, as it were, uh, an internal reckoning a little bit inside politics. So things like truth commissions are then one way to go, right? Which is sort of, well, okay, well, we can't all put you into jail or, or sort of, you know, uh, worse, as it were, to these people. Uh, but you can try and reclaim some of the money that has been siphoned off. You can expose tax, the gains of, you know, the corrupt. Uh, activities that have taken place um, but you can also have an open truthful conversation about okay well that was stupid why did we do this and mm. and that tends to happen over time so you know um, royal commissions are a means in Australia um, you can have an inquiry which is the usual UK way of trying to do this although often you inquiries are sort of you know sabotaged but there are as it were ways and means of democracy for changing its mind and then having some limited degree of accountability mm. and I'm sure that we'll go through that the next decades right we'll have lots of inquiries and I'd be surprised if the first ones are not entirely rigged and sort of you know the politicians will come out smelling like roses but there will be later ones right mm. this is a long trajectory we're, we're, we, we are looking at it a decade of inquiries ahead and i think the later ones will be more realistic than the first ones mm. i mean i'm i'm kind of concerned that because i do want an inquiry right mm -hmm. but i would also like it to look at this as a as in the way that you've laid it out it's like look we've, we've done something that was of great cost like should we have done this was this worth it and i don't think that's how the inquiry is going to go whatsoever mm -hmm. in the uk i would mm -hmm. say at least in the UK, what I envision happening is going to be um, the inquiry will be about why didn't we lock down faster? Mm -hmm. How many lives could have been saved if we'd just gone like 
full like no mm-hmm. one leave their house mm-hmm. um that that boris johnson was too soft on covid or, or mm-hmm. whatever <laughs> like that's that's the way i see it going like do you think there's a realistic chance of 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 there being any inquiry ever that like actually says hey this wasn't worth what we did because i don't i that would require a lot of people to say we got it wrong mm-hmm. people are really bad at that <laughs> <laughs> uh Look, I totally agree with you about the first inquiry. The first inquiry will be a whitewash and it'll be all these bollocks about, uh, you know, were we, were we harsh enough, right? Uh, you know, did we listen to the scientists enough? Whereas, in fact, the scientists follow them rather than the other way around. Um, but history is funny in this way, right? And the Iraq war is a great one as well, right? Originally, yeah, there, there was a lot more public opposition to that. There was a lot more, but, but there was also a change of mind gradually of the population, you know? So uh, for the first seven years, you know, Blair was still in power and he got voted in and there was no serious inquiry whatsoever. But, you know, 15 years after the war, when it's sort of a little bit more distant memory, then, you know, the, the knives can come out a bit more, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that this is normal, basically, right, for, for places like the UK. So I think the first one will be an entire setup, in, absolutely, and it'll, it'll be all nonsense, basically, right? And you can already see that it's being set up right now uh, in exactly the way you sketch, right? Which is that, you know, uh, uh, as it were, uh, the conversation is pushed in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. It is more, were we harsh enough, right? Whereas the conversation is not at all about what it should be about, which is, well, what about the mental health damage that we've done to the lonely what about the destroyed lives of a whole generation of children who couldn't go to school and play and hence have had stunted social development stunted emotional development mm. this will be a problem for a whole generation right mm. uh, what about the, probably the hundreds of thousands of people who will die prematurely because of the disruptions to national health service mm. to the terrible health advice that people have gotten mm. you know stay at home don't exercise uh, and that sort of thing it's right nuts, and it? the it, it, it's it's absolutely absolutely horrific uh, but the reason to think that that'll come back is because this was and is basically the scientific understanding of the last decades that this was stupid mm. and so the logic of science will sort of reassert itself mm. it'll be slow mm. but there were cost-benefit analysis made I- including at the British government you know there were hence uh, these accountants who said well there may be 200,000 deaths coming just from the health disruptions alone right, right? and that was in April of 2020 and there were lots of groups but they weren't well heard but they were the insider groups mm. the well-being economists of which i'm one in the uk they're basically unanimous and having said throughout this this is stupid look at these losses look at, at the huge mental health damage you're doing mm. which is also bad for physical health you know look at the long-run problems we're getting with the huge government debt you know mm. that's going to be paid back so that'll be austerity that'll be a huge loss again right uh, and that is standard economic thinking as well so to a certain extent that normal science it leads you irrevocably to saying that this was as stupid as you could be. And so you can you can thwart normal science for a while. You can have these huge governmental rewards mm. for, for basically, you know, pretending that two and two is 550 rather than it's four. But the fact that two and two is four will reassert itself gradually. And then naturally you'll get back to these inquiries in which it will be about bean counting. It will be about how much did you expect to gain? Mm. Are we, we were supposed to flatten the curve and, and that would mean we wouldn't get an overrun hospitals. Well, how bad is an overrun hospitals? This thing happens yearly. Mm-hmm. So it, it, give that's us a calculation. That's the point as I to, was trying to make. Exactly. You know, how much were you actually expecting that this would gain? 
oh, you weren't expecting anything. It was just about overrun hospital. You didn't actually do a calculation. You, you didn't actually know whether hospitals could do much net benefit to these people either. Mm. Uh, so whether it was even good, because lots of these ventilators, for instance, in hospitals were probably not all that useful. Most mm. people on them early died with them. Yes, so yes. Uh, this whole notion that the hospital had something to offer a lot of these COVID patients was also weird. Mm. So to a certain extent, rationality went out of the window entirely in these early weeks, right? Mm. It was totally unscientific. It was against scientific advice. It was against uh, health codes. It was against WHO uh, codes. I mean, basically, we, we had lots and lots of scientific barriers against lockdowns. Mm. And so, you know, that will reassert itself to a certain extent. right? Mm. Uh, and then the inquiries will come more. But indeed, given the political and economic capital that's now on the side of the guilty, if you like, mm. yeah, it, it'll, it'll take some doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do think it'll happen. Okay. So I'm optimistic. Mm. But... Uh, it won't be in one or two years' time, unless you know we're, the situation becomes so bad that the population wakes up a bit more quicker than it normally does. Mm. I mean, like one of the things um, I'm concerned about is like, actually um, you move that mic just forward a little bit because like when you're speaking into the side, it doesn't okay. work that well. But because um, yeah, the, the the thing faces forwards. That was one of my great discoveries after five episodes of recording that. <laughs> um, but the. I guess my my biggest concern here is that like so we we've gone through this period of time where um, we've said okay like the this is you know you know let's praise the science mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> like as if it's some fucking religion and like it's an absolute truth which it never mm-hmm. is but anyway that we've got to a point where politicians can make policy based on nothing mm-hmm. and like it's not like there like, there's some levels of debate as to how effective or how, how useful like lockdowns and masks and mm-hmm. all the other NPIs were. But it seems like there's a pretty strong case that the on the on the balance the there was just far more costs of locking down mm-hmm. compared like we were just it's gonna cost us in many ways that maybe people haven't considered or thought about, but like people did think about this. And yet we managed the government just turned around and made their decision based on very little evidence mm-hmm. and, and contrary to yeah, 40, 50 years of scientific understanding mm-hmm. of disease and, um, and what happens yeah, when you shut people's lives down. Like the, that's, mm-hmm. It's such a, I, I think it's arrogant to suggest that that's not going to cause huge disruption to people. Like to just be like, oh, the kids will be fine. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, a, that's, a, that's a big claim to make, man. And for me, I'm concerned that we've crossed this line where politicians don't need justification for things, mm-hmm. where they don't have to sit us down and say, okay, we're going to take away your like basic civil rights, the, mm-hmm. the things that have defined the West and the developed world and the, all the most prosperous societies in human history. It's like, we're going to take those away. Mm-hmm. Like for me, you have to spend days constantly explaining why, justifying mm-hmm what you have done and they've, mm-hmm. they've, there's I, I'm concerned that we've we've accepted these things and now we're in this world where governments can do anything based on just be like oh well you know Dr. Fauci says so mm-hmm. we're just going to do it mm-hmm. uh, I agree with an awful lot of that and you raise a lot of issues there right that uh, governments have become as well untouchable and their advisors who sort of you know uh, after what the politicians have said and decided something, come up with reasons for why that was a good decision. 
uh, have also become untouchable, if you like, right? And, and parts of what used to be science have just become propaganda instruments mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, making up arguments yeah. to suit their political masters. But like not just, um, not even just like making up arguments, like like blatantly and brazenly doing it. Like, like Anthony Fauci was on, um, I think it was MSNBC. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, you should wear two masks because, mm -hmm. you know, that's just common sense. <laughs> and then two days later, he was like, well, there's no scientific backing for that. But mm -hmm. they're, they're just out there making fucking statements with nothing to back it up brazenly. Look, I, I, I totally agree with you that that has happened a lot and it's happened from the start, mm -hmm. right? So when you talked about the people doing calculations, I was one of those well-being economists who did this early on in March last year. So even before we started lockdown, I said, look, I, we're going to kill millions in this way, right? And I, my quick calculation suggested that the losses would be about 50 times bigger than the benefits. And at that time, I still thought there were going to be benefits. You know, I was still sold on the idea that lockdowns might prevent deaths, whereas now it's clear looking at the data across countries in Europe in particular, but really around the world with very few exceptions, that lockdown countries have had more COVID deaths, more COVID cases. And part of that is because you stop the health service from functioning well and you make people weaker, right? Uh, and of course, at best, you might be postponing something, but you're not really helping much. So, uh, and, and I wasn't alone in that, right? So uh, my, David Miles, who is a, a, a health economist at also Imperial College, he also had about the 50 to one number in terms of losses. And that was very early on in 2020. And this was similar to calculations done in other countries. So there are economists the Ministry of Economic Affairs in the Netherlands who came up with high cost-to-benefit ratios. Um, and so this was known, as it were, right? And this was said, and of course, entirely in accordance with that 50 years of previous science, right? Um, but we have now indeed crossed a Rubicon, whereby mm. um, we, we talk about this at length in our book, The Great COVID Panic, that we've, we have in, in, in the UK and in lots of countries in the West become a, what we call a neo-feudal society, which is that it's as if we're smack bang uh, back in sort of the, the time before the Magna Carta, whereby kings can do whatever they want and advisors make stuff up for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the great unwashed peasants just sort of have to listen to how guilty they are and how uh, the devil is in everybody and that they couldn't trust mm -hmm. anybody except for what comes from high above, right? Mm -hmm. A sort of a new religion and, of course, a, a, an authority which is uh, deemed to be infallible. Um, but in that sense, I have good news and optimistic news, which is that the, the, the things that you care about, that I care about, these freedoms, right, and also normal scientific debate, mm. it's not as if we had them as a luxury, something that, you know, oh, we can give them up in an emergency. No, no. Uh, I mean, they got developed over hundreds of years because they work so well. Mm. And they will prove themselves to work well as well now, right? And so the countries which managed to hold on to that the best... In Europe, that has to be Scandinavia. They sort of either, Sweden never went as mad as the other countries and the other Scandinavian countries went a bit madder, but more quickly regained their sanity. Mm. They've now regained exactly those things. You mm. know, their scientific debates are open. They talk about all, all kinds of medicines and, and, uh, and they, they reap the fruit of that. They're much quicker than other countries discover what works, what doesn't work, the silliness of masks, as you say, you know, uh, whom to vaccinate, whom not to vaccinate, whether it should be mandatory or not, what kind of social distancing for whom might make some sense, where not. They have open rational debates now of a kind that's sort of unknown in this country for the last two years, right? But that, give, that, that, that means they're leaps ahead. Their economy is doing better, their mental health is going better, their kids are learning better. We're, we're going to lag behind. And so our country is going to get jealous. Jealousy mm. is our friend here, Josh. You know, our jealousy of the joy that people are now experiencing in Florida, in Texas, 
in Denmark and seeing them, you know, partying in, in large open stadiums and, and, and having real life again. That's what's going to turn this around a lot more than a thousand books, you know, because we can see success and mm. success comes from more freedoms mm. and from more open scientific debate. So in that sense, you, you don't need to worry about those things. So those things were not like, you know, a, a holy thing that we had because we liked them. No, no. <laughs> they proved themselves over century to be the way in which mm. we are strong, in which we, you know, have a thriving society. Mm. And we've, we've done them by the wayside because, well, they were in the way of power-hungry politicians who sort of, you know, wanted to uh, appease a population and then saw an opportunity. Mm. But don't worry, those things are still, you know, uh, worth their weight in gold and will reassert themselves as the things to do. Mm. So uh, this country, UK, is being punished tremendously for its stupidity. I mean, the, uh, the UK is the poster child in the Western country for just how much you lose mm. if you set aside real science, mm. if you set aside a real respect for, you know, the freedoms of, uh, of the population and of the need to look after our children the need to sort of allow uh, social uh, interactions. You know, this country's economy went down more than almost any other in the European uh, arena. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the government debt is higher. The loss of well-being is higher. Uh, also, probably about a million people have left the UK. Yeah, you know, there's there's probably also quite a, a decrease in the number of births that has happened. You know, this country has sort of lost like 15% of its international weight in two years. That's a huge demise, mm. right? It's, it's, it's like, it's like the, the Brits shot themselves in the foot and then sort of, you know, uh, said, well, you know, if Corona doesn't sh uh, surrender, we'll shoot ourselves in the other foot. And then they did. And of course, there was no surrender because that's not the way it worked. Mm. So I think the UK is the poster child of what not to do. Mm. And the silliness of, of you know, this, this theatrical grandstanding mm. that the politicians got into uh, at the expense of sort of, you know, the things that were smart to do, mm. which was, you know, uh, keep normal social interaction going, talk mm. openly about mm. who's most vulnerable, what you can realistically do rather than utopian do etc etc okay. so i'm much less worried than you in the longer run we're, okay. we're still young enough to sort of you know <laughs> to see the fruits of the benefits of freedom and, and real scientific thought yeah i mean i'm not i'm not convinced that that's definitely where we're going but i just i'm, I'm aware of like this being a thing that i totally we about. are in a new feudal age josh and, and we talk about uh, how seemingly stable it looks, you know, the, the tremendous economic interests that now want that, right? Mm. And a, a new propaganda and censorship machine that has arisen and the new control machinery that has arisen. No, no, we, we are living in very, very scary years, if you like, right? But it's not sustainable. You know, I mean, we're, uh, Britain is the the poster child of how you basically you you sink through the ice. You you yeah. <laughs> sort of you 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 you're losing everything yeah. as you sort of engage in this stupidity longer and longer. And we're, so. and we're, and we're trying and we're trying to deal with all of this whilst we're doing Brexit as well, which was already I know. Be, yeah. It's anyway. Um, there's there's <laughs> there's two things that I want to I want to address there that you talked about. So the first would be like I know people will would raise um, New Zealand as an example. So you said mm -hmm. that like we talked about whether they should have locked down and if they mm -hmm. did it faster and harder and like at least on the surface like New Zealand and Australia mm -hmm. don't seem like they have had anywhere near the number of deaths that a mm -hmm. lot of places in in Europe and and a lot of the world have had. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's credited to their sort of locking mm -hmm. down very fast and mm -hmm. very hard like, what would you say like do you think that they are going to see the same costs 
as say other places will but mm-hmm. the then lockdown further because mm-hmm. like you talked about places that lockdown hard having higher mm-hmm. covid numbers so i assume you're pla- talking about places like israel or mm-hmm. um i can't think of any other examples at the top of my head There's lots of numbers but yeah that, that, that's yeah that's something that i i know people would want me to raise if yeah yeah no definitely this. it's an interesting question and in europe for instance the southern european countries locked down hard and had high COVID numbers COVID death numbers but also the uk britain mm. england is itself an example mm. of such a place but Scotland people think we didn't is not, people yeah, think we didn't lock down hard <laughs> you know but that's the, the, the yes the, but you did I, yeah but yeah, people yeah. just be like oh we should have done it sooner i know we should I know. have done it harder i know but <laughs> according to the main indices but also if you look at what's happened you know school closures social distancing measures uh border problems shutting down businesses britain has locked down hard and has seen no benefit when it comes to covid death and certainly no benefit when it comes to overall health effects uh, but it's it's important to to sort of realize you know the damage that australia and particularly new zealand has done to itself right it's been tremendous damage but it's in, damage in what, again in, that we like don't. What's, what's well, we, we well we don't we don't talk about that so much. But uh, for instance, in in the in Australia, the latest data shows that they have a lot of excess deaths, and particularly the last eight to twelve months. So after a couple of months after lockdowns, which is exactly what you'd expect if you disrupt your own health services, if you close that down, because you don't pick up the cancers, you don't help people in dementia. You know they've locked away a lot of their old people supposedly for their own good, but without social interaction. They go dement much quicker. They die much quicker, right? right? And that's exactly what you're seeing, right? So you're seeing these deaths of neglect, these deaths of, as it were, non-functioning health. You also see huge losses when it comes to the kids who've been sort of prevented from going to school in their hard lockdown places. Mm. And New Zealand, of course, has has had a, a tremendous economic loss, right? They used to have tremendous numbers of tourists who haven't come. Mm. That's an enormous loss for them. That's one of their biggest industries, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they used to have a lot of migrants coming to them, helping them in their economy, improving their economy. That's gone down an awful lot. Their government debt has skyrocketed. Their two mental health problems are sort of you know increasing an awful lot, mm-hmm. right? Uh, physical health problems are increasing. There's sort of a hopelessness about the situation, and of course, New Zealand is sort of a good a, a good case in point of sort of the dilemma you have, even if you think that closing the country will sort of stop COVID coming in, which it doesn't, it just comes back and back and back in waves. So, you know, that was a fantasy that you can keep keep it out. But it, even if you could, it's kind of like this this catch-22. What, you're, you're going to siphon yourself off from humanity for a century, you know? <laughs> or you think that there's going to be the one, the vaccine, which will solve all problems, you'll never have COVID. Well, we know that's not true either. So yeah. w- what are you realistically going to do? You're, you're suddenly going to decide you're no longer part of the human race, <laughs> right? And so or you have huge cost of closing yourself down, but there's no real benefits whatsoever, Right. Uh, and so they're waking up to that, right? Mm. Uh, of course, they, they, I know personally some of their smarter economists who who shouted this out immediately. So in New Zealand, there's the Plan B people uh, who said this, and Martin Lally is an economist, and he's, uh, he's calculated that their cost of benefits of their lockdowns have again been something like 50 uh, times the cost rather than the benefits, right? Because uh, the benefits are so small, right? Mm. Uh, and there's again also with these COVID deaths, it's very important to keep into perspective that relative to all deaths, they're not so many. Uh, and also that they occur uh, amongst people who are very elderly and very vulnerable, uh, meaning that they don't have many years of lives to go, mm. right? And of course, if you think of, of the cost you're imposing on young children who've got their whole lives to go, or even preventing a lot of people from being born mm. by 
uh, frustrating IVF services, uh, by preventing people from getting married. Mm. Well, then you're preventing people from being born who would have had 80 years to go. Yeah. So uh, as soon as you start thinking about this in a more rational way, in terms of lost years of lives, uh, then the balance very, very quickly, you start mm. to realize, oh my God, you know, we're, we're, we're killing a mountain over what is supposed to be preventing a mole's heap, mm. right? Uh, and you don't even see the moles benefit uh, mm. materializing. So another thing to realize about Australia is that that whole time zone has very, very low numbers of COVID death numbers. So mm. you also see very low death numbers in Timor, mm. in Papua New Guinea, yeah. in China, mm. right? And so there's something about that whole time zone. Uh, and uh, Australians and New Zealand like to say it's their lockdowns, but that's not clear at all. Mm. I mean, Victoria's locked down now for four or five months straight, mm -hmm. and their COVID numbers now are higher than <laughs> they ever was, right? So and so th 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 there is against this pretense of certainty. Oh, we know it's the lockdowns. No, they don't know. It could be lots of other stuff. Right? What, what, do you, what are you saying? Like, I mean, I've seen suggestions that that could be due to like previous exposure to coronaviruses mm -hmm. and then that they've built up some level of immunity mm -hmm. like do you think that's that's a possibility it, uh, look there's there's literally dozens of factors that could be involved um one of the obvious factors indeed that you know they're in the part of the world where a lot of these coronaviruses originated and sort of went round earlier uh, mm. because you know china is sort of the hub of this mm. and in australia there are over a million chinese migrants mm. uh, and of course lots and lots of chinese students as well so coronaviruses would have been brought to Australia to a greater degree than they would have uh, elsewhere in mm. Europe or, or the West, and particularly mm. South America, which is where the, the number of COVID deaths have been highest in the world, mm. right? Uh, so proximity to China in this kind of migration sense might well be a large factor. That would also go for uh, New Zealand. But there could be other factors, right? Uh, it, it could be that um, the climate is slightly different, mm. or it could be that the humidity level is slightly different, or it could be that they uh, have different social norms as to how they deal with their elderly. Mm. Uh, or it could be as sort of as, as left field as their fauna, i.e. the animals that are running around, because we're not the only animals that can get corona, and we're not mm. the only animals that can spread it around, mm. right? Particularly not the previous types of corona. So it might also be that they're lucky or unlucky enough, as you had it, to, to have had the type of animal that have spread it around previously. Now, all these things are subject of real scientific scrutiny. Mm. We don't know. That yeah. would be the honest answer, right? You hear what the, that YouTube, that's not a definitive statement. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and what the government and their sort of, you know, scientific propagandists say is pretend certainty, mm. but we really don't know, yeah. right? It could be, you know, things to do with the ventilation of old people's homes. It could be uh, the setup of their actual hospitals, the infrastructure around it. Mm. Lots and lots and lots of factors, right? And it's incredibly hard to research that in the case where uh, trillions of dollars are riding on the notion that the government and their, their conglomerates are right. Mm. Well, that stops scientific mm. thought. That stops open, rational debate. You know, we should be having an open adult conversation about these things but we can't mm. because it has to be the case that you know governments have saved us and that these these you know harsh measures have prevented an enormous number of covid deaths well that is clearly not true we can see that in the data but what is true we we don't know mm. and that's where it would start it has to start with well, there's a lot of uncertainties around. You know, we, we know these lockdowns in Europe have had basically bugger all benefit. But what has been important from the number of COVID deaths is very, very unclear. Mm. Right? And, and that's how we should start these conversations, not with this pretend certainty. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good way of putting it. We shouldn't, we shouldn't approach this with, with certainty. 
Um, so uh, something you mentioned earlier that I wanted to circle back to was this idea that um, different countries would start to get jealous, basically. Mm-hmm. So we look at Sweden, for example, in parts of Scandinavia, where they've removed, I think, all restrictions now, and at least Sweden mm-hmm. and Denmark, I don't know about Finland or mm-hmm. Norway, but that we would see their success and, you mm-hmm. know, human jealousy and, and like the the desire for, yeah, just like the humanity would see that and be like well they've got their lives back and they're kind of fine like why uh, why are we still you know semi-locked down and things like that but i mean i i'm skeptical that that is the case because um there's two examples i'd have so even within europe basically we've seen yet that, that we're seeing this and that's not changing the the reaction of many other countries like vaccine passports are now in force in france in Italy and their, the Austria have had like you have to show some sort of test or vaccination status to get into basically anywhere for for almost a year now, mm-hmm. um, and it's or well, about nine months. But like, the we haven't seen anyone going well. You know, Sweden are doing fine now. Why are we not doing what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Even within the United Kingdom, like England have no restrictions basically now, right? Northern Ireland, we still have a lot of a lot. Of, like small limits on like capacity on like you can't stand in a bar you still have to sit down you can Mm -hmm. stand up to walk to the bar to order your drink but then you're not allowed to stand there and drink it you have to then go back and sit down um just things like that just like Mm -hmm. restrictions uh there's like uh, limits on how many people can be in a supermarket just things like that there's talk of vaccine passports i mean that's been chill for now but we're not getting jealous of England, really. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not pointing at England. Or in, in America, mm-hmm. you've seen, like, the difference between, say, Florida and California. Mm-hmm. Californians aren't screaming, you know, make us like Florida. They're saying, look at those crazy people. Mm-hmm. They're all going to die. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what they're saying. And then when, when someone, when they when the, like, numbers, like, go up a little bit, mm-hmm. like, there's, like, it's not just, like, uh, an I told you so. It's almost, like, gleeful, like, oh, I can't believe mm-hmm. they're all getting COVID. No, I, oh, they're all mm-hmm. dying. Like, it's... It's like they're actually enjoying it if, mm-hmm. in a way, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so I'm I'm skeptical that that like do you think that competition aspect is definitely going to happen like that jealousy? Uh, I definitely think it's going to happen, but you are right that it it's happened slower than I expected it to. So it's been one of the surprises for me mm-hmm. is that that I expected this competitive aspect, this jealous, this ambitious aspect to kick in earlier. I was. I thought last summer that you know some some countries were starting to open up quicker. They were trying to attract the tourists. Uh, this happened, you know, former Yugoslavia, some of those places sort of opened up. And I think my daughter went to one of those smaller countries, Slovenia or something, where they could have been one of the other ones. I traveled they- last summer. I was in I was in um, I was in Croatia, in Holland, in mm-hmm. Austria, in Italy, and in Switzerland. Yep. And I had to quarantine one time for five mm-hmm. days, and that was it. There was no entry requirements, no restrictions whatsoever. And now, with much more knowledge mm-hmm. further on, way mm-hmm. more people with antibodies, uh, all the vaccine rolled out mm-hmm. to like 60, 70, 80% of populations, and we're in a worse position. I in know. Terms of- Look, you are, you're, you are totally right. And, and that has surprised me too. I, I sort of thought, okay, the cra- last summer, so the summer of 2020, I thought, okay, the, the craziness will sort of wind down now and instead it got notched up to a whole nother level right uh and that was partially i think because in the summer of 2020 by then the big companies had learned that they would actually benefit from this and so they were in favor of a restatement of this they Mm. saw this as partly as a means of sort of killing the smaller competition 
extending their sphere of influence. But you can see how the stock market has sort of reacted to that. It sort of rewarded them. So mm. they sort of agree with that, right? Also, the politicians, I think, realize that, oh, no, we, we can make a lot more uh, bucks out of this and a lot more political power. And the medical advisors didn't let go, right? Uh, and they have many levers to push to sort of increase the levels of panic, uh, as Laura Dodds, uh, as it were, describes very nicely. But you do see a lot of signs of this jealousy, right? It, you see uh, quite a lot of signs, right? Uh, so let's take the U US, for example, right? So in the US, uh, first off, uh, as far as you can see the migration st streams, and they're actually hard to measure, but as far as you can see them, it's away from New York. They've lost maybe a million people, just as London, by the way. How many people? Well, uh, well, London has lost definitely a couple of hundred thousand, maybe more, right? Uh, and these are the foreigners who's gone, who've gone back, right? Or they're going to the countryside, right? So there's a huge drain out of London. Um, but New York as well, right? And quite a bit of that has gone to Texas, has gone to Florida, the, the free estates, if you like, mm -hmm. right? Um, but there's also something else that's happened, right? Initially in the US, it was really only South Dakota who sort of, you know, most quickly regained its sanity and said, we're not going to do this. Mm -hmm. They were followed by those most akin to them, so the Republican states, right? Mm -hmm. But the Republican states previously were also lockdown states. And so they changed their minds. They saw, oh, South Dakota is not having Armageddon. Well, why should we do this then, right? Uh, and they started to advertise with this. Right? So, you know, have, have beach parties in Florida, right? <laughs> And that has attracted new businesses. It has attracted holidaymakers from all over the US. And one of the things that's happened, which is, which is interesting if you look closely at the actual behavior of the democratic states, is that a lot of their restrictions have been reduced, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's now the federal government, which indeed has all this gleefulness and sort of is trying to channel, as it were, right? This sort of, this, this part of the population who wants to hold on to the notion, oh no, we were right, you know, we should basically have no life from now till we die uh, in order to prevent us from dying from COVID. We'd prefer to die from cancer or something else, right? I mean, it's outright madness what's mm -hmm. happening. Uh, but there is that element to it, right, which, which is kind of like the, the crowd wants to keep going on that. But a lot of these democratic states, their levels of restrictions have gone down a lot because they don't want to lose the businesses. They've seen the disadvantages and they've also seen how little they buy with this. And what has also happened, and I think this is true of Europe, this is true of the US, is that, were that the... The opposition has gotten slightly better organized, but also at the fringes, you know, a lot of the intellectuals are starting to change their minds. You mm. see this with the lawyers, you see yeah. this with the doctors, you see this with the economists, you see this with the academics. Most of them were in favor of this, but they are now sort of thinking, do I really want to stop my children from living their entire lives? Do we really want to be like this? Is, is this uh, how we want things to be? And they look around. And so it, it's basically, you know, the lie is very quick. Mm. The truth is slow. But the mm -hmm. truth does catch up, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and yeah. it's catching up. But it's catching up slow. And there is where that jealousy is sort of, you know, the, the proof in the pudding. You know, however much you, you sort of, you try and fool yourself as a scientist by staring at the models which tell you that Armageddon will go if you don't have lockdowns. Mm -hmm. It's hard to ignore Denmark. It's hard to ignore Sweden. There it is, you know. Yeah. Or oh, it hasn't happened yet. Or it's going to happen soon. It still hasn't happened after two years. Oh my God! Right, and it's happened nowhere in the world. Yeah. Right, the biggest, the the, the, the biggest places where where the most deaths are in places like Peru, which has sort of been locked down forever. Yeah. Right, it's kind of like, but it's not true, and it's sort of hard to ignore that empirical reality. Yeah. Right, I mean, Even it comes state, knocking state at state you. In America, like it, it, it's sort of how stupid can you be? And you know, <laughs> intellectuals are very good at at sort of ignoring you know the truth when it, it doesn't suit them, when their egos are shouting at them, and their career incentives, but. It sort of gnaws at them, right? Mm -hmm. 
And it's sort of like, how long can you be so stupid? And well, as we can see, kind of long. <laughs> but it, it is eating at the edges. Mm. You know, the, the number of people who convert the other way, as it were, are not many, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, right? I have not heard of anyone who was anti-lockdown then becoming pro-lockdown. That's not something I've seen. No, because all the fun is with us, Josh. I mean, <laughs> we're the ones partying, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it, you it's know. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically, it's, it's, whereas the other ones, are, I think of the nihilistic story that's pushed by the other side, you know, be afraid, see every other human as a threat, you know, uh, feel you're a risk, see your fellow man as, uh, as kind of, you know, a beast who's a who, who's nasty to this yeah. uh, have no private responsibility uh, listen yay and amen to the, you know the rightful authorities by god what a negative story <laughs> uh, i mean one of my questions for irish people you know it's sort of like haven't you had enough of you know centuries of catholicism telling you that life is like this <laughs> you know <laughs> do you want to go again with covid <laughs> like that yeah. it's kind of like really yeah. well i mean one of the things that um that i have noticed or i've heard actually is that the, the the republic of ireland will be dropping their vaccine passport thing um for getting into pubs and bars and everything because uh i heard that then there's no one there Mm -hmm. the, the businesses are all about to go under because no one's going to the pub. Exactly. Um, and the fun people, yeah, yeah. they're sort of like, oh, we're not allowed to be at the pub. We'll organize our own parties. And yeah. let me tell you, they're better parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? They exactly. are way, they are way better parties. Yeah, and far better parties. And, 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 and there's entrepreneurialism in this. So, for instance, there's, there's in the Netherlands, there's a political party who's been against lockdowns really quickly. Not right at the start. They've, they changed their mind on that. So, at the start, they're also shouting for this. But pretty quickly, they were against lockdowns they are now having buses going through the country which are like freedom cafes for people who've been unvaccinated or for some other reason don't want to go to these you know vaccine only pubs which is kind of like the new apartheid and so these are like apartheid busting buses right you know come in it's t it's totally good for us right they're going to be places to be, let me tell you, Frank. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be where all the crack is. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, so one of the things that uh, I, I wanted to ask you about is that like, so there's um, like over the last six months or something, since basically since Rand Paul started fighting with Dr. with Anthony Fauci, mm -hmm. I don't want to call him doctor. Cause, like, no, no. Anthony Fauci. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like this my small dig at him. Yes. Uh, <laughs> call him Faust. Faust. Uh, but yeah, so we've seen, we find out a lot about mm -hmm. the fact that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was conducting gain-of-function research mm -hmm. on live bats, on coronaviruses, to see how mm -hmm. they could be engineered to jump from bats to humans. Mm -hmm. Smart move, guys. But anyway, um, we find out now that, the, that some of that research uh, was funded by the Echo Health Alliance through the, uh, the National Institute of Health under the instruction of, um, or who is un who are under the instruction of, of Anthony Fauci, I don't know if he personally mm -hmm. demanded this research, but like they, they allocated the money and he's technically in charge. Um, so he's at least got some level of responsibility. But he then, he, he said, we're not doing this. Mm -hmm. uh, this research was done to uh, circumvent like uh, the Obama era law that sort of didn't want to do, or the instruction that they didn't want to be conducting this kind of research in the mm -hmm. US. <laughs> um, and and, so, and then he stood up and just 
straight up lied about it in Congress. Mm-hmm. And you, I could tell he was lying even before the things came out because mm-hmm. he was being, he was doing that thing that lawyers always do. Like I mm-hmm. learned, I learned when I was studying law. Like what you do is you get real pedantic and mm-hmm. you focus on the definitions of words. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's like Bill Clinton. I did not have sex with yeah, this yeah, woman. Like, I did not have sex with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But Oral like, sex is suddenly no longer sex. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like the, the, the. I, I don't understand what. How he's even like a how he's still this like figure of of adoration mm-hmm. by like a large portion of the population. I don't know if mm-hmm. you saw that video with James Corden and Ariana Grande, the dancing mm. in the street, like get your vaccine video. But then they had um, like big spinners, like with like circular things that people were like holding up and like running around with his face on it, like a celebrity. Sure. But like, sure. W- w- why is his reputation not suffered when it turns out like the the he was in charge of um, something that had allocated money mm-hmm. to the, the thing that literally gave us this whole <laughs> fucking bullshit. <laughs> Why are people not mad? <laughs> well, I, I, I want to talk about the origins of the virus uh, later, uh, but I first want to pick up on this notion, well, um, yeah, that people have gotten away with blatant lies. And my, my favorite example of that is people who say, look, um, uh, how is it going with those two, two weeks of flatten the curve after 18 months, right? Uh, well, where's the recompense of that? You know, where's all the, the people who, who supposedly advise that after the facts of the politicians? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, there was no flattening the curve. This was all totally made up, sort of on-the-spot models, which had no real track record. And, you know, yeah, no, we, we, we totally effed up on that one, right? It hasn't happened either. Mm. Uh, and in fact, a lot of the politicians who shouted those lies, clearly lies, or, or as it were, miscalculations uh, at the very least, uh, I've had no negative effects of that at all, right? And that you, you must understand crowd behavior and herd behavior to, to do that. And our book talks that, about that at length, right? Is that uh, people want to be with a herd and they don't really care if that is because of a lie or a truth. Mm. You know, that herd feeling is, is sort of very powerful with humans. And, and lies and truth, oh, that's very fluid for them. You know, that, that is far less important than we pretend it is, right? This homely feeling of I'm with the herd is far more important to people than truly whether something is true or not, right? It's, it's almost a weird pathology to care about the truth. You know, that's... <laughs> That's, that's, yes. uh, because it, it, it may be dangerous for you. It may mean that you, know, you swerve away too far from the herd. You, know, you, you never know. Right? Yeah. Um, but I, I do want to talk about the, the virus origin. Right? Uh, so the, uh, as I see that debate, I still think that there are two possible theories. Right? One is indeed that it, it was a mistake. It, it was generated that the Wuhan technology uh, and... Um, and, and that, you know, there was a cover-up. Um, and the reason I think that's a reasonable uh, story or possibility is that I can see how that would happen within China. I can see how the cover-up would happen. Uh, yeah, I can I see that... the journalist. That you, you, yes, and, and, you know, uh, and you can see how, you know, they might have been developing viruses like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and, you know, how easy it would be for that to escape mm-hmm. uh, that kind of lab and in that environment right and it's it's a little bit of a weird coincidence that the city where this breaks out is where they have these gain of function labs right mm-hmm. uh, and and the people who say to me ah well yes but the records show they didn't have this and that and that yeah what records yeah. you know that's what's been been, been sort of openly put so mm-hmm. i can see how that story works but it's not the only theory mm-hmm. right I still find the, the zoonotic theory uh, also a real contender, which is that somehow it, it came from animals. It doesn't have to be bats, mm-hmm. but it came from animals. And, of course, the, the latest Laos uh, 
cave study, you know, suggests that the, uh, the key protein, which is, as it were, the key by which this virus gets into our cells, right, these ACE2 receptor, right, that that was at least in the coronaviruses found in that particular cave amongst that group of bats. Now, as I understand that research, that's still far away away from, as it were, the coronavirus, which, which went to humans, right? There's still, as it were, a, it's only 96.8% close to the DNA of the actual virus, which may be 10 years of difference, right? So, uh, and they didn't find any, any sort of bat caves in China with any closeness to that degree. So that was sort of a missing link type thing. But mm. Uh, that can be all kinds of things. Could be another animal, right? That's sort of where, where coronaviruses came from. It didn't have to be a bat, right? That, the bat story is sort of a little bit made up as well, right? Uh, could be a pangolin. Uh, could, could be a ferret type thing, right? I mean, there are lots and lots of animals which have coronaviruses. So, uh, and there's an awful lot to sort of discover there, right? Who knows? So I think until until either, you know, the, the zoologist and the, the biologist find the group of animals which have had long-running coronaviruses where they can see these extra developments, which are sort of the missing links between, you know, that which has been documented in the wild and that which sort of uh, went into humans. Until there's that, there's the possibility that it was a lab leak or some other thing as well, right? But those are the two front runners I see. But again, I think the, the, the starting point of this with a scientific debate has got to be, we're not sure. Yeah. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and what, is, what, is, what is, I think is, is, is a really telling sign is that very quickly the lab leak theory was, was kicked off the political radar, was kicked off the WHO radar. And then there was this massive big tech funded censorship mm-hmm. of people who said, yeah, but look, you know, there's lots and lots of mutations between the wild virus uh, as we know it and what went to humans. One of the ways in which it could have gotten there is that you know this was engineered in a lab, and we need to look at this. We need to look at well, where are the missing links in nature then, if it came from them, or well, where are the missing links in sort of engineering this thing, right? Let, let's uh, uh, which fire, which scientists have sort of been going a little bit towards this line, right? Uh, and that debate has not been had in the open, and we can't talk about that because the political incentives are so enormous. We mm. can't embarrass China, so. You know, it is a very dangerous theory to say as it came out of the lab because then, you know, there's also the question of, well, should they then be responsible for the damage done elsewhere? Mm. And so, you know, there's trillions of dollars uh, and huge political um, capital involved with these theories. Mm. But that goes against science. You know, science should be about, well, we should not care what the truth is as a science. You know, uh, in terms of its political thing, we just want to know what it is, right? We we, we don't care about its political implications, but that is now impossible. Mm. And that is what, what, what has always been meant by the word fog of war, right? We're in a fog of war, which is there's a war, and in a war, people have to pretend to be certain because so much rides on it. You want to win, you can't lose, you've got an enemy. And then, you know, everything gets crystallized into, well, it must be like this. But it isn't. Science is not like that, you know, and discussion is not like that. So we diminish ourselves by, by, by this, you know, polarization of truth into a uh, crystallized bullshit, right? <laughs> right? Right? That's a great way of putting it. <laughs> crystallized bullshit. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh. It's amazing what now passes for truth. I mean, I can't yeah. open the newspaper without bullshit staring at me from every page. Yeah. They've become unreadable, right? It's pure propaganda, I, pretending I, all kinds of truth, which, which are sort of miles of the truth. Mm. I, I, can't, I can't watch the news anymore. <laughs> 
It's very I, hard. I, I can't do it. I just, I, 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 before, like a lot, like over the last five years, I would have not watched it very often. I get, I like, I, I consume the news, but not like BBC or whatever, the mainstream mm-hmm. stuff or CNN or whatever it is, whatever country you're in. But I just, I can't, I can't, I can't sit there anymore and watch it because I'm just like, lie, 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 <laughs> lie. They'll like say like six things in a row. They're like, that's not true. That's really bad journalism. That's mm-hmm. really one-sided. That's an opinion. And like, I just have to sit. I'm like, you people have lost. Mm-hmm. The news is like, you sit there and like lecture about how you, it's like, oh, why don't people trust the news anymore? It's like, because you're fucking <laughs> lying most of the time. <laughs> like, what? Do you know what I mean? They never look inward at the loss of trust. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I think that's a very important point that, that I think uh, a lot of friends of mine who are still part of the mainstream and I have, I have family who's still part of the, the mainstream, if you like, right? I mean, most of my family is also anti-lockdown and they're, they're sort of reading themselves, become skeptical and sort of questioning things. But I have family members who are very close to me who are fully believers into this. You know, they read the new scientists and they think they're scientists and they think that, that this and that and that and, and uh, they, they think they've got answers to, the, to these things, but they don't, they're not capable of digging into it very deep. So they sort of, you know, go via these intermediaries and they swallow everything basically, right? Um, but the... The, the thing is that the, the families, you know, we, we have to sort of reconnect with these people at some point, right? And sort of find a way to forgive them, if you like, for yeah. that, right? Um, they have to, they, on, the, on the other side, like, they, they, have, they, have to, they have to forgive you for having had such abhorrent <laughs> and dangerous ideas. Well, there's that yeah. too. There's that too. But, but, but there's another point I wanted to make about that, um, which is that, to a certain extent, we we on the skeptical side, and I count myself on the skeptical side, I have found myself in need to be forgiving of lots of people on the skeptical side whose opinions I would have not given any air two to three years ago. Mm-hmm. Any air, right? I've sort of had to lose a bit of my truth arrogance, if you like, mm-hmm. right? Because, of course, seeing how the establishment is lying so structurally now mm-hmm. right in our countries uh, and not all countries but in some countries and in some regions right now uh, and so and how easily a lot of our institutions even our statistical institutions have gone along with this they've changed definitions they've sort of highlighted some things not other things mm-hmm. then you must start to be more forgiving towards groups of people who've distrusted official narratives for 10 20 years mm-hmm. and have drifted far away from the mainstream or lots of other things mm-hmm. you know on the Iraq war for instance right or you know uh, where the gas attacks were there mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I see all kinds of sort of things which used to be called conspiracy fears which I still now say well I still don't believe that mm-hmm. but I'm going to be slightly less dogmatic about saying you know all that's totally not true you know mm. I'm, I'm going to be and, and there's a difficulty in that right which is that of course as soon as you reject as it were the official narrative and all the the, the sort of the bogus science that comes of that you're a little bit adrift yeah right yeah and so we have to accept other people who are adrift as well and they're slowly searching as it were you know towards better stories yeah. things which are more functional for our society as a whole uh, and which fit the facts better but yeah. Facts are tricky things as well. We need to sift through, yeah, is that a real fact? Is it not a fact? We've got to look at it again, right? It's, it's sort of a dual way, and that only goes very slowly. So I, I've also found we need to be more tolerant mm. towards mm. outlandish stories, if you like, right? 
Um, I, I've also, I've, I've for long been very dogmatic about truth, you know, my truth of the highway, as it were. <laughs> but that doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know. We, the, there must be more of a, a, a probabilities, you know. Well, that's likely not true. That's more likely true. That, that, that we, we have to get back to that because that's, as it were, the starting point from which we can then sift through things again. Mm, that's such a great way of putting it. It's like you've abandoned your truth arrogance. <laughs> and I definitely, I feel that, like I really do. I've, 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 I find myself in the same position as you. Like I'm suddenly considering people that I would have never even sort of been like, oh, well, they're wrong about X. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they're wrong about everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they're, they're, they're not, they're not credible. They're not worth my time listening to. And like, I've, I've, uh, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence that people like Alex Jones have had like an absolute renaissance uh, mm-hmm. in the last year or two. Uh, he got booted off YouTube and now he's back as the king of YouTube. Like any, <laughs> any, any interview he does gets like straight up three, four five million plays. It's just, it's incredible. And I think it's because all of a sudden people have gone, hang on, he's been saying things mm-hmm. like this are, were going to happen and were possible for quite a while. You know, maybe mm-hmm. we should entertain some of his other ideas. And I, I find it happening with it a lot of right-wing people mm-hmm. that I would have previously been like, well, screw them. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to mm-hmm. listen to them. Like, uh, yet, all of a sudden, the I find myself like adrift, like mm-hmm. you say, because I would have previously considered myself to be quite left-wing on, mm-hmm. on a lot of issues. And I still am. Like, I don't think I've changed my opinions. Mm-hmm. But the people have been willing to sacrifice like freedom and, and you know, mm-hmm. not stand up for things that, you know, I think are pretty fundamental to our society like freedom of speech expression like mm-hmm. civil rights like human rights that should not be optional mm-hmm. you know the shit, it doesn't it doesn't there's a there's a great picture that was like the um the a painting of the the signing of the declaration of independence and there was a caption there it's just like just to be clear none of this counts when there's a virus <laughs> 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 which is great I, I'll, I'll see if i can find it i'll put it in on the, on the as in South Africa, there was a saying during the anti-apartheid era, there's no middle of the road to freedom. <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I totally hear you on the left-wing stuff. I mean, I, I, I always counted myself uh, maybe a little bit left of center, but definitely progressive and definitely on the side of the downtrodden. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing I dislike about these lockdown narratives is how the supposed left-wing have totally abandoned the downtrodden. Where are they for the vulnerable children? Where are they for the millions of people whose jobs have suddenly been called inessential? I mean, what a horrible thing to say to workers. I'm sorry, your job is inessential. You feeding your family, your, your, or, or your life investments. Oh, that's not important anymore. Where, where the hell did that come from, the progressive story? Making people lonely, yeah. you know, putting abused housewives together with their abusing husband and say, oh, don't go out because that's dangerous. No, stay with him so that he can bash your brains a bit more. Uh, where the, where's the compassion with that? Locking people in old people's homes, uh, forcing them to go demented without their social, uh, letting them die alone. Yeah. That is antisocial. That is anti-progressive. I mean, the, the, the total betrayal mm-hmm. of, of, as it were, the, the, the left-wing elites 
uh, of of the downtrodden in this world. That, it it is cruel. Mm-hmm. It is cruel. They've 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 embraced cruelty at, at yeah. the heart of their sort of philosophy in life. You know, as long as people do what they're told, that's the good thing. No, it's the outcomes that matter. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to look at what happens to people. You know, you, uh, stop staring blindly at your own fake numbers. Look at your own neighborhoods. Look what's happening to your kids, to the elderly. You know, it's disintegrating. Mm-hmm. And and there's kind of like a lack of humility, a lack of of empathy, mm. uh, and even within their own families. Mm. I have left-wing friends, and uh, you see their kids, you know, their lives is totally disrupted. They can't go to university, they can't go and travel, they don't meet people, they've sort of lost the will to live, and they're, 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 their fathers and mothers are there gleefully behind their Zoom laptop saying, this is great, you know, yeah. I'm so glad to be with my family in my home. Mm. Yeah, but their kids are not. Yeah. You know, they're, 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 they're missing out on life. And it's kind of they don't want to see it. It's it's cruelty within families as well. It's it's horrible to see this mm. this breakdown of empathy in our society. Yes, it's quite it's quite um, pathological in a way. It's and I I had never understood like places like I'm not used to the Germany example, but I'd never understood, for example, like the Soviet Union mm-hmm. and how. How people who could like Jordan Jordan Peterson talk about a lot about how they became possessed by the mm-hmm. idea, and the, the millions of people fucking died because people starved to death under communism. And mm-hmm. yet they they like the, in Russia there was just people, no one, everyone was just like mm-hmm. communism good like for most of the time at least, or even for a while, and then they well, it took them a while before they did anything mm-hmm. about it. But like there was like pathological belief in their truth yes and like a part of me feels like we've kind of seen the bed of that over the past five years um where there was just like a the 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 yeah this is like weighed into we've already gone controversial who cares right (laughs) so um so i feel like people's obsession with say uh you're gonna call me my pronoun oh yeah right but like that 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 to me was like a that was foundation that this has been built on mm-hmm. it's that like i can have my truth mm-hmm. and i will believe that till the end of time and there's no convincing me otherwise and i think that that was because i apologized to my best friend yeah yeah. I was, i'm sorry that i didn't because he was always going on about this yeah, and yeah i was yeah. just like oh don't like who cares let people be people whatever and he was very concerned about like the breakdown of of like truth and things like that. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, man, come on, it's not and, a big and, deal. And, and also things in perspective. Well, I'm I'm not part of the woke, so I know exactly what you, what you're talking about. But as we were one fight at the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but 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 on the panic thing, I mean, it it went all over the world, including in East Asian places, which are not woke at all, including in Australia, which is yeah. not woke well, at all. Yeah, yeah. So to a certain extent, it, it, it is deeper than that. The whole of humanity, as it were, you know, 90% yeah. of the countries went mad in that sense, right? Mm. Um, but but it's that. it's definitely a, a crowd phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? And there is a lot of writing in the sociological literature. It's not, the sociologists of the last couple of decades haven't written much about it, but there's a lot of famous sociologists who wrote about this, you know, Gustav Le Bon, Elias Canetti, Norbert Elias, uh, Adorno, uh, there's sort of famous sociologists who wrote about this exactly in the sort of like 
a group of people going mad and, you know, obsessed with something, you know, vampires or uh, <laughs> people shouldn't have alcohol. That's the source of all evil or, you know, a, or by the devil or whatever it is. And then that becomes the only thing they focus on and everything else sort of loses their value for them. But of course, it doesn't work out. You know, reality hits them. Uh, and eventually, sometimes after decades, sometimes after years, you know, slowly on the on the edges, the crowd loses its madness, and mm-hmm. you know, then the the initial fanatics either die out, or there's such in a minority that that the crowd obsession uh, dies. That's roughly the story, right? And, mm-hmm. and my book uh, talks an awful lot about that. But there is a great play on this, which is called uh, the Rhinoceros, and I, I'd encourage you to read it. It's a fantastic play. I, I read it in my youth, and it's so apt now. It's by a, a Romanian who saw. Uh, the sort of the crowd of nationalists in the 20s and 30s and the 1920s and 30s when whole regions went mad, right? Sort of this, this sort of not just fascism, but nationalism also and, and socialist madness, right? All that kind of thing. He saw mm. that happening. Yeah. And he described this as, uh, as if it was a little French village. And the little French village, everybody's sort of sane and there are different opinions. You know, there's some ideologues and there's a mayor and this and that. Yeah, a normal French village. Yeah. Uh, but... But gradually, everybody in the village becomes a rhinoceros. And a rhinoceros is hence, you know, stampeding around the neighborhood, kicking everything down, being totally oblivious to the damage that they're doing, and sort of being totally single-focused, but also they're sort of stampeding together, you know, and, and everything gets bust, but they don't care. They, they don't even realize, right? Mm. And so that's this metaphor for going mad, right? And one by one, he says, you know, the first ones to go, the intellectuals, you know, are the elites of the village. And then sort of the last one to go, and he, he finds he wants to be with the rhinoceros. Everybody else has changed, including his girlfriend has changed. He wants to be with the rest because now he's alone, hmm. but he can't. And the person who's left is interesting. It's not, you know, the egghead intellectual who holds out. No, it's the bum of the village, right? <laughs> it's the drunk, right? <laughs> it's it's kind of like, because he finds alone that he actually doesn't care, right? And, and he doesn't go with any of these stories, right? <laughs> and he finds that he can't rejoin his crowd. They're so far. He's, he's lost them, right? And so it sort of ends in sadness that, you know, the one guy in the village who's truly not susceptible can't join. Mm. <laughs> and then he's, he, okay, I'm going to be a holdout then, right? Yeah. And it's a fantastic story of the loneliness of the person, right? And, and yeah. I mean, there are people like that, right? George Orwell was like that, right? And, yeah. and so he talks about the loneliness of standing outside of the crowd if everybody's gone madness, right? Yeah. And that sort of thing, right? So, but it's it's a fantastic book, the the rhinoceros, it's mm. it, because it th- this image of you know seeing people transform in front of your eyes into a rhinoceros who's yeah. then a, a stampeding idiot and mm. sort of totally oblivious, totally against everything they've formally said, and and you know just sniffs and, <laughs> and destroys. It is a wonderful metaphor for now because that's exactly how I felt in March last year. It's kind of like, what is happening to these people? You know, I mean, uh, is the world going mad or am I going mad? Right? I mean, you know, and and sort of, you know, my science helped me in that sense because being a well-being economist, I, I could easily calculate. No, 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 no. The costs really are much bigger than likely benefits. I could read the Wuhan data. I know these models. You know. And it's sort of like, no, 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 that's not a big number. No, that's a small number relative to, to, yeah, the, yeah. to the damage. No, this really makes no sense. I sort of had to slap myself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I've been there. And, and then it is indeed kind of like, what the hell is going on? Hmm. What, what is happening to these people? What's go- 
gotten into them. It's like demonic possession, right? And the rhinoceros story is a wonderful metaphor for that. Yeah. Well, that feels like a very fun note on which to end things. Um, I now understand, um, having had the chance to like sit down with people in person over the last few days in podcasts um, and the last couple of months, is that, and I, I say why Joe Rogan is able to do three hours without batting an eyelid, because when you're having a good conversation, you don't want it to end. But um, yeah, it's a good place to leave it. And we, yeah, I don't have the room for longer than like five more minutes. So, <laughs> so I have to pack up. But uh, Paul, uh, I really, really want to thank you. Um, it's been it's been a pleasure. Great, great chat. Um, come at me, YouTube. I don't know how this is going to go down. I've probably demonetized, but as long as I don't get a strike, that'll be good because I have too many of those already. Um, is there anything you want to plug just before we finish? Uh, well, read The Great COVID Panic. It's been a bestseller already. Uh, it not only talks about you know how we got here, all the medical stuff, the science stuff, uh, the economic stuff, but it also talks about solutions. It also talks about what you can do if you're worried about this. Mm. Uh, and what Josh is doing, which is creating alternative media, is a very necessary step. We need in order to be able to communicate with each other, everybody who's skeptical. Mm. But we also need to build further. You know, We need to build our own scientific institutions to a certain extent. We need to rebuild civil society. You know, uh, A parallel society has to, as it were, develop uh, before, as it were, you know, the rest of society will follow that. Uh, and most of all, be jealous of other countries where it, it, it's happening and go and have fun. Mm. Because this is, the, in that sense, this is one of the most strangest panics and strangest uh, um, crises possible, whereby the solution is to have fun. Mm. You know, have fun, hug mm. people, have sex with them, you know, uh, go to the pub, you know, be social, be a human with them, empathize with everybody in your neighborhood, the mm. good stuff of social mm. life. Yeah. That gets us out of here. Yeah. Because that's what we have and the other side does not. Mm. So, uh, you know, how can we possibly lose if fun is on our side? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I will add one thing, actually, is be kind. Um, Definitely. That's, I've, I find that people, because I, I have opinions that are very different to most people on this, but... I find that if I'm nice to them when I'm talking mm -hmm. about it, they don't shout at me and they don't get angry in the way if I was just like, oh, you sheep. Like, it doesn't help. That doesn't help. Like, or, or calling people stupid is like, oh, you want to get the vaccine, you idiot. Or, oh, you don't want to get the vaccine, you stupid mm -hmm. idiot. It's like, just be nice to people, I think. But yeah, mm -hmm. that's a good note on to end. Um, thanks very much, Paul. Great talking to you, Josh. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate you tuning in and making it all the way to the end of the show. Please don't forget to like, share and subscribe and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.